The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you so much, Dean, for reading the scripture for us this morning. The Philippians 2 passage is one very special to Pat and I. Uh, it was the passage that we memorized and recited uh, to each other at our, on our wedding day many years ago, Philippians 2. And, uh, and I'm grateful for the, the, the songs that the worship team, Dustin and the, the folks, uh, chose this morning to prepare hearts for the theme of the message today. And uh, while we talk about that, I'm so grateful for Chris Schrader behind the scenes working, and uh, you'll notice that um, um, the app, which we have been talking a lot about, um, now the app has uh, a place to take sermon notes. So my outline for this morning is already on the app, and if you'll open it, you'll see that uh, you can take notes, and then that, those notes can be saved, and you can look back to them. So just a great, a great uh, way of leveraging the amount of time that we spend together in the Word of God. And I think as we go through Romans chapter 12, something that will be even more useful together. Um, Paul has taken 11 chapters to talk about an incredible theological foundation for which now he, in chapter 12, is building the application on. And so for the last couple of Sundays, we've been in that application, and today we continue. But I want to just talk a little bit about beginnings to begin with. (laughs) And uh, I was thinking uh, this past week about uh, our trip in the in the spring of, of 2016 when I had a sabbatical and Pat and I went to Italy and we went to the Tower of Pisa. And it's a very interesting structure, uh, leaning as it is. Um, it was incredible to see. Um, it was built over a 200-year period from 1173 to 1372. It took almost 200 years to build, but within the first few years of it being built, it started to lean. So within a few years of it being built, back in the 1100s, it was already leaning by the time they got up to about the third level of the building. And and it was because of the uneven settling of the earth underneath the foundation, the insufficient footings that were built to sustain such a, a, a tower, Clearly, they, they had a problem with beginnings. <laughs> it, to me, illustrated an example of that. They had a problem with beginnings. And the philosopher Plato said this. He said, the beginning is the most important part of any work, the beginning. And indeed, the Tower of Pisa, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, is a monument to that very truth. In fact, it wasn't until 1990, can you imagine, it wasn't until 1990 that engineers finally figured out a costly way of keeping the tower from actually falling over. And uh, so now it still continues to be a tourist attraction. Well, I want to ask you, if you think about your own life, how are you at the beginnings of things in your own life? Here we are at the beginning of a new year. You sometimes had to begin a new job or begin new relationships. How are you at the beginning stages? Have you ever started into a project that has faced major setback because you weren't really diligent about the beginning of the project? And in our Romans 12 passage, 
Paul is very earnest about the beginnings of the application of how you then live the transformed life. How do you then live out the, the very theology that he has been talking about? And in verses 1 and 2, we've laid the foundation. He's talking about living a transformed life. And we talked about those two very important words that he uses, that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, that is to be changed from the outside in, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That is just like we sang about just now, change me from the inside out. That's metamorphosis, that's transformation. And Paul now is going to build on what does a transformed life with a renewed mind look like? What is the first stage of living out the transformed life? What kind of attitudes and things do we want to see Paul addressing? And so it's not a surprise to me that the first place that the transformation begins to show itself is in our self-awareness, is in how we view ourselves or in the virtue of humility. And so this morning, our theme, the message, is a transformed life, genuine humility by the grace of God. And um, we're going to see, indeed, as Paul unpacks it in verse 3, we're going to see that the renovation of us that God does by His Holy Spirit in that transforming work really begins with a genuine humility in response to God. And it's an essential work of grace. We are limited in our usefulness to God until we really start to see that that is going to be continually an area of your self-understanding that God has to chip away at, your humility. Let's take a look at what this scripture has to say. I want to just give you a foresight on on what we're coming up to in the next few weeks. In fact, in verse 3, Paul, today we're going to be talking about thinking right about ourselves, In verses 4 and 5, he's going to talk next week about how to think about other believers in a proper way, and as well, how to think about spiritual gifts that God distributes in the body of Christ. How do we think rightly about this? Humility is going to be needed as a primary tool in your toolbox if you're going to think rightly about yourself, about other people around you, and about the spiritual gifts that God gave you or me or someone else that's different than the other person around you. And so humility is needed. So let's begin, but let's start by just talking about this virtue generally before we look at what verse 3 particularly has to say. Some of you have read this little book by John Dixon called Humilitas, which is Latin for humility. And uh, in this book, he writes this, Humility stands alone among the virtues in that as soon as you think you have it, you probably don't. And yet, the, re- the reverse does not follow. Not thinking yourself humble is no indication that you are. Both the arrogant and the humble are unlikely to think of themselves as humble. Very insightful words. The very goal of his book, he says, is he's, he's aware that the most influential and inspiring people are marked by humility, and that's what made him want to study this virtue. He defines humility this way. He says, Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. 
That's the way he defines humility. As I go through these definitions, as I talk about this virtue, you need to be taking out the mirror of God's Word and taking a look at yourself this morning. Today might be a deeply reflective sermon for some of us. Another definition that I found is this. Humility, knowing, accepting, and being who we are while demonstrating modesty about our accomplishments and gifts, admitting mistakes, and valuing others for who they are and for their input. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's the way he defined it. Well, That probably gets at the heart of what Paul is talking about in verse 3 of Romans 12. And so let's dive into the scripture. And I have three things I want to say about this verse. First of all, genuine humility flows from your response to the grace of God. Secondly, it results in sound self-awareness, not overthinking yourself. And thirdly, it is measured by the standard of God that is given us in Jesus Christ. So let's start by looking at the first point. Genuine humility flows from your response to the grace of God. I want you to notice two verses, first of all, 3 and 6 in Romans 12. In verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And then later in verse 6, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. So here he is, he's using the same idea that God has given Paul grace, and he's using it now to exhort the believers in Rome. Just as later on in verse 6 he says, God has given all of us grace in spiritual gifting for the sake of a ministry among ourselves. And that's an interesting way. He's using spiritual gift and calling. Paul is using his spiritual gift and calling uh, to exhort the Roman Christians. And he's then turning around and saying to them that they also are conduits of the grace of God because of the gifts. We're going to talk about that more next week. About the gifts of the Spirit that he has given for the building up of each other. And so in this idea, spiritual gift and calling, all from the grace of God, all gifts of grace, how could there be any room for boasting? That's the idea that Paul has in this verse. How could there be any idea that we are boasting that we're one one upmanship, better than the other somehow, when everything that we've been given is a gift of grace? And so we understand then that Boasting is excluded, pride is pulled out by the roots, vanity and superiority are snuffed out because genuine humility is always a response to the grace of God. Let's take a look at some other scripture that, that uh, clarifies that. First Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is again talking about not being puffed up. And um, in verse 7 he writes, What do you have that you did not receive? Very good question to ask. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It's a great question. Paul is saying there's no place. If we understand the incredible debt of gratitude we owe the Lord, 
if we understand the web, complex web of sin that Jesus Christ has rescued us from, if we understand the incredible platform of grace that he's put us on instead of the mire and the mud that we were swimming in, how could we ever boast? How could we ever become proud? First Peter chapter 5, Peter says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. You see, over and over again, the scriptures remind us that pride is the vice, the father of all vice, even as humility is the mother of all virtue. The scriptures underline this over and over again. So at the beginning, then, of this message, I want to ask you, how are you at humbling yourself? before God. How are you at humbling yourself before others? Something that I have learned over the years is that the way I humble myself best, or the way that God often chooses to humble me, because both are described in Scripture. You remember that passage in Daniel 4 where Nebuchadnezzar learns some humiliating lessons. And he says, and those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. So sometimes God humbles us. But how do we humble ourselves? When Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Well, I, I don't know any other way of doing it better than in relationship. That's the best place to test your humility and to reveal your pride. It is in relationship with one another. When we, when we walk in honesty and in transparency and in vulnerability and in intimacy and in closeness with each other. And so, how are you at that? You see, we humble ourselves and we receive more grace every time we do when we go to someone and ask forgiveness. That's that's going to result in you humbling yourself and in you getting more grace. We humble ourselves every time we admit when we are wrong about something. How are you at admitting when you were wrong? We humble ourselves every time we confess a sin to someone that we trust. That we wouldn't need to confess to. But we're going to follow through on James 5.16. We humble ourselves when we forfeit, saying, I told you so. <laughs> we humble ourselves every time we let go of our rights. And we say, I don't need to spend that. I don't need to spend that just to prop up my little faltering ego. No, we humble ourselves in a multitude of ways. If when the opportunity presents itself, we are, have responded to the grace of God enough to say, I'm going to do that. But folks, I don't know, I'm telling you, I think it's mostly in relationship that we are humbled. This past uh, Wednesday, I joined the come, to the come to the Quiet prayer time, and um, someone was thinking, I guess, of the sermon coming up this week, and they were thinking of verse 3, and they prayed, we, we're not better because we're following Christ. We're broken sinners in need of mercy and grace just like everyone else in the world. It's so true. 
Have you ever noticed that sometimes in a family situation or in a friendship situation, that sometimes an, a non-believer evidences more humility than a believer? That is sad. That is sad when we see that. It should not be that way when we have responded to the grace of God and understand what it cost to purchase our, our salvation. We've all known someone who just oozes a sense of pride. We all know someone who has a way of always coming out on top. We all know someone who I'm sure you know someone who, who's always that name dropper or that person that is referencing their own accomplishments. We all know someone who has uh, been pumping their own tires for years and they're still not inflated far enough. We all know someone who has, after a long conversation with you, you realize that they didn't ask you one thing about you, your family, your job, nothing. It's been all about them. You all know somebody like that. You've all had those conversations. You all know someone like that, and you probably want to run away just like I do when you get in those conversations. And then in the midst of this conversation that you and I are having right now, you might be thinking of someone... And guess what's happening right now? You're getting proud as you're comparing yourself to that someone. <laughs> Isn't that a slippery thing? How pride oozes in, sleeps in, sneaks in. It, it's just crouching at the door waiting to have you. It's like that, isn't it? Humility. And then there's false humility. You've, you've seen that one too, haven't you? I mean, the self-referencing, boastful person is easy to see as proud. But the false humility is a little more subtle. It's the person who always downgrades their accomplishments, somehow denigrates themselves. And really, if you ever just responded by saying, yeah, I agree with you, that really wasn't much, they'd be offended. Because what they want is you to respond by saying, oh, no, no, you're great. You, that was one. You see, that's false humility. It's just the backdoor way of trying to get some more goods out of you. Ah, we all have those ways. And so, false humility, in-your-face humility, God has a way of showing us these things if we walk before him in grace. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great, and he describes the two characteristics of what he calls level five leadership of great companies that succeed. And uh, he says that there's two characteristics of great leaders. One is that they have a steely determination on some principle that they pursue, determined. But he says it's accompanied by a really a, a deep attitude of humility a deep attitude of humility. He says this, when successful companies become arrogant, it often spells their downfall. You know, it shouldn't surprise us that worldliness and people of the world find that God's truth is, is really good truth, that it's applicable, that, it, that it, it works, because God's truth is truth. How would you like to have your name written in the Bible? Most people, when they hear that question, would say, oh, that would be, that'd be amazing. How would you like to have your name written in the Bible? Well, maybe you're smart enough to think, well, how's my name going to be used in the Bible? 
Well, I'm thinking of a particular name of a guy in that little wee book in 3 John. There's only one chapter there, and it's verse 9. It's a man by the name of Diotrephes. Do you remember him? Guess what it says about Diotrephes? The only thing it says about Diotrephes is, yeah, he loves to be first. <laughs> How would you like to go down in holy history, your name recorded in holy scripture for generations to come, and the main thing that they know about you is, oh yeah, so-and-so, he loves to be first. Actually, there's one other thing that we know about him from that verse. It also says that he rejects authority. Do you notice that about proud people? If you ever see yourself rejecting or resisting authority in your life, take a pause and take a check because it's usually pride that rejects and resists sitting under authority. It's a very important litmus test. Why is it? It's because often they're too big in their own eyes and they're not used to responding to the grace that God has given them. And sometimes God puts people in your life just to test your humility. In fact, he, he sometimes wants you to submit to someone or go along with someone simply because he's testing your humility and growing the muscle of your humility. Well, we need to go on to the second point, and that is that good, genuine humility results in sound self-awareness, not overthinking yourself. Verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And Paul uses a very interesting word. It's a compound word. It's hyperphroneo. Hyper meaning beyond or above, and phroneo means to think of or to hold a perspective about. So this idea is don't have an overview of yourself. Don't overthink yourself. Don't superthink yourself. Don't be high-minded about yourself. That's the word he uses. Hyperphroneo, hyperthinking. It's a tendency that we all have, though. He's really saying do not think more about yourselves, more than you actually are, nor more often about yourselves. You see, we have, we have a lot of time. We spend a lot of cerebral time on us, and it's robbed from thinking about others when we do that. You see, that's the human condition, folks. That's the human condition. We don't think well about others around us as much as we think about ourselves. There's an author by the name of, of Greg uh, there's an author by the name of Greg Elshoff who written a book called I Told Me So. He writes in the foreword these words. This book is about self-deception. It's about the amazing human capacity to break free from the constraints of rationality when truth ceases to be the primary goal of inquiry. You see, we, we often can have this idea that, well, I'm, I'm an objective person. I'm, I, I want the truth about this or that or me or you or whatever. Are we really that way? Are we really that objective? Are we open to self-deception? I think we are. We have the capacity to deceive ourselves. And this same author goes on to quote a, a, a research that was done at Cornell University among high school students. 
high school seniors. It's very interesting that 70% of the high school students that were interviewed thought that they were above average in leadership ability. And a complete 100% of them, all of them, thought that they were above average in the ability to get along with other people. Now, if you know the law of averages, you know that not everybody can be above average. <laughs> but, but that's self-perception. 60% of them thought that they were in the top 10% of being able to get along with others. But before we throw the students under the bus too far, let's think about the professors. Because the professors of universities and colleges that they interviewed also, 94% of them thought that they were doing a better than average job. Again, don't think that that's possible in, in statistics, in the law of averages, for 94% to be above average in the job that they're doing. And so it appears that most of us have a grossly exaggerated understanding of our own skills, our own gifts, our own abilities. We overthink ourselves, folks. We think more of ourselves. And it should lead to the conclusion of... It actually should lead to one conclusion when we understand this fact. It should lead to the conclusion to say, you and I are conceited. You and I have pride. That's where C.S. Lewis goes in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud, and a biggish step too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Well, this, is hitting, this is hitting right here, isn't it? Right in the stomach. Because we do have that self-awareness, understanding. We have, we have, I'm not conceited. I know some people that are, but... <laughs> and in the very declaration, we realize, oh, busted. So Paul calls us not to be high-minded, not to overthink or hyperthink about ourselves, but instead to be sober-minded. What does that mean? Well, the word has to do with moderation, true moderation. It's actually the root of that word is where we get our word diaphragm. What does the diaphragm of your body do? The diaphragm controls the breathing that you do. And that's what sober-minded means. It means controlled thinking. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to, nor to think of yourself more lowly when God has given you gifts of grace and skills and abilities, but rather to think of yourself accurately, sober-mindedly, controlled, in moderation. That's the idea. Avoiding both extremes of not fixating on ourselves. As Lewis says, not thinking less of yourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Psalm 51, verse 6, God says, you desire truth in the inner parts. Truth. So just, that's just an accurate understanding of you. God has made you really special in some way. God has made you in a certain way. You have a, abilities and gifts, and someone right beside you doesn't have that maybe, but they have something else, and you want to say, hey, that's, that's cool. That's a gift. That's God-given. 
But then you have to say, man, when it comes to this, I, I suck. I'm terrible at that. That's something I have a hard time with. In the past year, I've thought often about the guiding verse that the COVID task force has used, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. This idea of not looking out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. I'm telling you right now, that's hard. That's not human. That's not normal. What's normal is to think about your own interests. What's normal is to esteem your own views and think you're right. And I've been caught in the past year. More than once I've been caught in deep conversations with people or in meetings that I've had with people. And I've had to I've gone into those conversations, I've gone into those meetings with a preconceived notion, I know what's best. I know what's best. I have a good handle on this. And I've had to leave the meeting rethinking my position. Because I realize I don't look out for the interests of others very well. I look out for my own interests really well. I don't see life from another person's perspective very well. I do see life from my perspective very well. And every time when we get into these meetings and conversations and so on, what often happens is when we are proud, when we are so convinced that we know what's best, we spend more time thinking about what we're going to say next instead of really listening to what the person is saying. That's only coming from a heart of pride, not humility. And so on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, sometimes we should ask God, God, show me. Just show me. Show me my arrogance, my pride. Show me. Show me how it's crouching at the door, how it wants to slither back into my heart, how it hinders my relationship, how it raises its ugly head in the middle of a conversation, how it, it hinders my listening ability and my empathy. Genuine humility leads to a sound thinking about ourselves which is open to correction, open to changing my mind. You see, how are you going to get a renewed mind? If you think you already know it all. How are you going to get a renewed mind? Is, that, is the renewed mind of verse 2 just, oh, me and God alone in my, in my closet? Just, God, you tell me what to think. No, no, what about God coming through some person that thinks completely contrary to you, and you have to humble yourself and say, you know what, I think I've been stubborn on this one. I think you're right. Well, that's how God can renew your mind too. If you're humble enough to receive the grace of God, and the just. Well, the final thing I want to say is that genuine humility measured, is measured by the standard that God has given us in Christ. Now, it is easy to misunderstand what Paul is saying in verse 3 when he writes that we should think of ourselves with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned each one of us. So, it could lead you to believe, and I think I've been confused about this verse for years. It could lead you, almost sounds at first reading, as if God gives more faith to some people who have a more accurate understanding of themselves and are more humble because of that. Greater faith, greater humility. 
And then there's other people that God doesn't give the same measure of faith, and they don't have as accurate an understanding of themselves, and they're more proud than humble. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying here. I, I, I read a commentary this past week that helped me to understand, I think, what Paul is saying in this passage And the commentary is by C.E.B. Cranfield, and he did extensive studies and took a look at other literature beyond the scriptures and and saw how the Greek text and the Greek word for the word measure or standard is used in other literature, in Dead Sea Scrolls and and in, uh, in, in secular literature and in the Bible and other passages and so on. And here's what he came up with. He came up with the idea that standard is a better word than measure. To estimate oneself according to the standard which consists in one's faith in Christ is really to recognize that Christ himself, in whom God's judgment and mercy are revealed, is the one by whom alone one must measure oneself and also one's fellow men. And if we take that, when I read this, the entire passage seems to fall into place. Paul is calling us to a renewed mind, which begins with how we think about ourselves. The correct way to think about ourselves is not to compare ourselves with others, but with Christ himself, the perfect standard. He is the measure of faith. He is the measure of faith we should should compare ourselves to. And if we do that, there's not a chance you're going to get puffed up. There's not a chance you're going to think you're something else because you're going to see yourself in a true light of humility. And uh, that's sound judgment. That's sound judgment. Jesus said, Matthew 11, 28, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus said in, Matthew, in Mark 10, 43, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said in John 15, 20, a servant is not a, a greater than his master. A servant is not above his master, is he? And if Jesus, being humble, came as a servant, how much more should we? humble ourselves. And so on this theme of humility then, it is the very first step on the road of becoming a Romans 12 Christian. The the platform has been set in verses 1 and 2, the kind of change that Paul is talking about that God makes in our lives, a transformational inside-out change. And the very first step out of the gate begins with humility. Humility. Because that guarantees our usefulness in the Master's hand. Well, as we have been talking about, we are really excited in between now and Easter. We are excited about studying Romans chapter 12 together. And like I said, we're just getting started, but um, we're going to be doing that in all kinds of ways, and and we want to do it with each other in clusters, in small groups, in families, in life groups, in discipleship groups, in some form. And Doug's going to come in a moment to share with us how we can do that and how you can engage with us on that. But before we do that, I'd like to just lead us in prayer. And uh, let me lead us in prayer now. And as we have listened to the word of God this morning, 
as we bow before you, Lord, we want to bring our pride into this holy place of our communion with you. That pride seems to have no place there. How could the sin of pride have a place in our communion with you? Well, it does only in the way that we confess it. It has a place only insofar as we can lay it down, acknowledge it honestly, and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my pride, and I confess it. How does it meet, reveal itself in you? Does it come in an unteachable spirit? Does it reveal itself in an independence, not wanting help on something? Does it come by not truly listening to your spouse or having to have the last word in a discussion with him or her? Not respecting his or her view? Does it come out in an unwillingness to look at a blind spot that maybe a friend has pointed out? There's so many ways. God, we bring our pride to you. And uh, we, we confess it. And Lord, we thank you for this great exchange that takes place at the cross when we bring our sin and in exchange for our sin, we receive your righteousness. So we confess our sin today and we thank you for the life of Christ not just his death that paid for our sin, but his life which lives in us by the Holy Spirit, transforms us and turns our pride into humble, humble servanthood. Lord, would you do that work in us so that we might be useful in your hand? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Terry. Um, just a reminder that starting next Sunday, uh, we will have in-person services again. So when you look at the registration for this coming Sunday, uh, next week will be registration for those who are fully vaccinated. The next week will be an open service for everyone, and we'll go on that rotation till the end of February. So just be aware of that. And on that same page, underneath the registration for Sunday morning, you'll see a registration for becoming a Romans 12 Christian. As a staff, board, we've been praying about ways that we can help our church, again, journey together towards Christ-likeness. And it's hard during this time of COVID when we're so separated from one another. Uh, so one of the things that we are going to, or are inviting you into, is to go through this journey of becoming a Romans 12 Christian. Pastor Terry has mentioned before, some of the things you can do on your own is read Romans 12 regularly, daily, uh, start memorizing it, start asking God really deeply about your inward journey with him, and think of one or two people that you could intentionally walk with in that. People that you already have a trust with, that you have a respect for their walk with Christ, and humbly invite them into your walk, knowing that you need each other to grow. And another thing that we want to invite you into is going through the material of a book called True Spirituality, Becoming a Romans 12 Christian by Chip Ingram. And it covers a number of, of very important topics. How to give God what he wants the most. How to get God's very best for your life. How to come to grips with the real you. That's sort of what Terry was talking about today. That part of humility. How to come to grips with the real you how to experience authentic community, and the next one's hugely important, how to overcome the evil that is aimed at you. 
And the content of this book, you can buy this book on Amazon, but uh, the content of this book is also available through 12 sessions, or about half hour sessions, on what's called Right Now Media. It's like a Christian Netflix. And all of you have free access to that through our church, but you have to register to the church. We're gonna send you an email, and then through that link, you can make your own profile on Right Now Media. And you could watch these on your own. You could do it with a family or your life group. What we really want to do, though, is to invite you to do this in relationship with someone else. And so if you want to do that on your own, you can just say, hey, let's meet on Tuesday nights at 7, and, uh, and then on Right Now Media, there's actually a watch virtually together. So one of you just sends that link, and I could explain it to you better later if you're, if you're wanting, but you can actually just watch it together in a Zoom-like environment and then talk about it. Our hope is that if you feel comfortable, you can have people in your home or meet somewhere else. But then for everybody, anybody else who says, you know what, I'd like to just meet more people in the church. On Wednesday nights, starting January the 26th, we're going to invite everybody who registers to come together and we'll have a little intro, watch the video, which again is about 30 minutes and always ends with a really good discussion question. And then we're going to have breakout groups of three to six people so that you really have a chance to dialogue and get to know people. And those groups will stay the same for 12 weeks. So by the end of that, hopefully you've made some good friendships and you've been able to encourage each other in your walk with God. Because of the way things are right now, we've decided the first three Wednesdays will be on Zoom. So we'll all be together. You'll see people's faces with their names underneath. I'm looking forward to that part, just seeing pictures and names. And then we'll break into, they're called Zoom breakout rooms of three to six people. So for three weeks, we'll meet like that. And then after that, you can decide, do you want to continue on Zoom? Would you like to meet at the church, if possible, around a table? Or would you like to meet in one of your homes? And so we'll go through this material together, and we trust that as we fully submit to God, and we learn to do that more fully each day, that we can not only grow personally, but we can grow corporately together in our love of God and becoming Romans 12 Christians. So uh, please uh, take time to fill in that registration form. So regardless of how you want to go through this, if it's one-on-one with a friend or with your life group, when you open up that registration form, you'll see that there's ways for you to let us know how you're journeying so that we can be praying for you and we can also follow up later on. And uh, one thing is, of course, for those little groups, uh, we're going to have a host. And the host is just simply someone who guides the conversation. So if you're willing to be one of those hosts on the registration form, you can just say, yep, I'm willing to be a host. And this Wednesday, we'll have a short little Zoom meeting where we talk about what that looks like. And you'll get great joy in being a host. So if you could take time to do that today, we'd really appreciate it. Let's just pray that over these next two months, from now till Easter especially, that God just has his way in our hearts individually and as a church. And may we become more and more joyful about the light that God has called us to be in him. Amen. Holy Father, we are just so grateful that this is a journey. Lord, that in the pursuit of of you and in the pursuit of humility, when we seek humility, we will always be brought back to you, Lord, and to your son, Jesus Christ, sacrificed on on the cross and, and our salvation in that. So Holy Spirit, I pray for each and every one of us that throughout this next week, that you would continue walking with us, pushing us along this journey, Lord, into a deeper relationship with Christ, that we may be transformed by that relationship 
to become better vessels of your love and your praise and your, your spirit here on this earth. In your wonderful and holy and powerful name, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.